This is part two of Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha means to go find yourself or go to yourself or go for yourself. Go on behalf of yourself. Go achieve what you need to achieve to discover your purpose. So that's sort of a broad understanding. Last week we ended, the last week, the last class we ended with the separation of Lot and Avram, right? They both decide to go their own direction. The reason why is that the, the herdsmen were fighting amongst themselves and they didn't want to have to deal with all the conflicts. So Lot decides to take this fertile land near this famous place that we will read about later, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, this region that was like the Garden of Eden. It was an incredible, beautiful place. Now it's just a place of brimstone and uh, desert. And there's nothing there. The Dead Sea accompanies that region right now. It says in verse 1, it starts off talking about a group of kings that, uh, as a matter of fact, the, the first uh, Amphrael, uh, king of Sinar, uh, is, is believed actually by the sages to be Nimrod himself. Um, and some of the descendants of Shem, they ended up in a pitched battle. And the reason why, it's pretty, pretty typical of the time, actually, it's probably not too untypical for our times today, is that governments tend to uh, overpower another government and they tax that other government. And so what would happen is these kings had set up a taxation system for these lower or smaller states. Now, part of the agreement for what we consider like a vassal state would be, look, we'll provide you the protection, we'll provide you the extra trade incentives, but we're going to tax you in, for that in kind. Well, they paid that tax for about 13 years, and they got tired of paying the tax, and the, the cities that got tired of paying the taxes were Sodom, Gomorrah, and some other places, right? They got tired of paying it, so they quit paying it. And so for about a six-year period of time, they quit paying the tax, and then all of a sudden, the kings decide to come together, and they're going to overthrow or take them uh, captive, basically enslave them. They're going to get their money one way or another. The interesting thing is Lot is there in, in Sodom. Now, the story goes, according to the sages, that Nimrod, who, if we'll remember back a few, uh, uh, I think it was last week's portion, uh, Nimrod wanted to cast Abram in a fiery furnace because he refused to accept the idols of his father and also the people of Ur of Chaldees. The word Ur of Chaldee, uh, the actual original word, means like uh, the fire, the great furnace, right? So it seems that they worshipped this image of a, uh, a fire god, like, you know, a god of fire. And so he wanted to test Avram by throwing him in a fire. And we understand this from, from the oral Torah, oral tradition. So it seems that this whole ruse to capture Sodom and Gomorrah is also uh, a way of pulling Avram into this whole battle. Now, this text that we're going to, that, that we read about in just a moment as we tell the story or as we look at the story, uh, is going to show a different side of Avram. What kind of man have we painted so far in this picture? Humble. Humble? Mm -hmm. 
giving, very charitable, very kind, compassionate, absolutely. Uh, loved to share uh, the chesed of, of God to the world. And so he and people were so attracted to him because of this kindness that he seemed to gather a lot of souls. And we see that when he is in Haran, while he's there, it says, and he took all the souls that he and his wife created or made, which is a beautiful lesson about one being able to inspire someone to, to uh, serve God and to love the one true God. And we said this in the last class, that anybody that somehow inspires another person to draw closer to God, then God credits that to you as if you have given birth to that soul. It's like your own spiritual children. And so it's a pretty interesting thing. So you think of the people that you've influenced in your life or have potential to influence, and you are, you are helping to bring about a rebirth of a beautiful soul, which is amazing. We're going to see a different side. This is the courageous guy. You know, you've heard the story, you, you pick on me, but don't pick on my brother. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Well, when he finds out that Lot is, is uh, captured, then he goes into action. At this time, he ends up with about 300 of his toughest men. Now, this is a guy who had a standing army already. So in essence, Avram was already a nation, if that makes sense. It was a little, little city nation, but he had enough to draw up 300 men. Avram's courage is an amazing thing. It's part of the essence of the Jewish people that always looked after and has since its beginning after the underdog. If you'll notice throughout history, it seems that they were either the underdog or they were looking out for the underdog. And I was just commenting, uh, I'm not sure, I think I was talking to my oldest son, and we were talking about how in 1939, Hitler began his, um, his terror campaign, basically by targeting the less desirable people, right? Mm-hmm. Homeless people, right. indigent, those with mental health disorders, Homosexual. homosexuals, yeah. anybody that were the less desirable, and everybody was okay with that. Right? They were like, oh, well, that makes sense. They're the less desirable. And at that point, that is when many of the Jewish people just said, well, our turn's next if we're not careful. And they, they left, many people left Europe and came here to the United States, went to, to, to Palestine, was smart enough to get out of Dodge. And we have to understand that as a righteous person, we have got to make a stand for injustice no matter who that other person is. Does that make sense? You know, when I, when I hear uh, the political rhetoric that we hear in society, and it's so easy to get on one side or the other. But you and I must be people, regardless of what political affiliation you are, we have got to be people of justice and of truth. Mm-hmm. And if we see a particular individual or a group of individuals in society being oppressed, we should be the most vocal. Because if they'll oppress them, when is the day that they will come and oppress you? When I hear about uh, different <coughs> religious groups being uh, kept back from being able to express their freedom of religion in this country. It's disturbing to me. Because then I wonder, when 
when are the rest of us going to be included into all that? And so we have got to be people of great justice. Avram was one of these kinds of men that not his, his courage and his leadership was equal to his loving kindness. That's an amazing balance. It's an incredible balance. Not only was he courageous, but he was a man of incredible integrity. Reminds me very much of the modern day uh, ethos that the special operations community says, the silent professional. Right? You go do a job, you come in, and you don't look for credit for it. After winning this decisive battle, he comes and brings um, basically the spoils and presents it back to these kings and presents it back to uh, the king of Salam. Now, who is the king of Salam in this story? Do you remember? Yes. Some would hear it pronounce it Melchizedek, it's Melchizedek, right? The righteous king. Melchizedek was or was the was the king of and and priest of the most high. Now I want you to think about this. He was the king and priest of the most high. For your notes, and you can go back and verify it if you'd like, but Melchizedek more than likely was Shem. Now that's an amazing thing, and the reason why is because he was known as the high priest of the Most High. They don't ascribe this word to a pagan. Does that make sense? Yes. You don't ascribe this to a pagan. This is a man <clears throat> who taught, and he was possessing or living, and had was like the, the city-state ruler of the place called Salam. You know where that's at? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, right? So the idea is that he had already possessed the land or that portion of land that was given to him as an inheritance. And there he, he promoted the worship of the one true God. When Avram was finished, what did he do? To show his appreciation to Hashem, he goes and brings the spoils to Malakzadik. Malakzadik in turn blesses Avram with this wonderful blessing and as well says that he can have anything that he chooses. And what does Avram say? I don't need anything. So not only is this man a great man of courage, but is a, is a man of real humility. It's like, come on. I did it because it was the right thing to do. We've heard that before, right? You know, when someone gets a microphone put in their mouth, uh, put up to their face after they've heroically rescued somebody and the news media says, oh, you're a hero. And it's like, no, anybody would have done. And so Avram's attitude is that way. It's like, ah, hey, anybody would have done that. You were going to say. Uh, he gave him, my version says he gave him a tenth of everything. Right. That was the first right. Time. Correct? correct. Correct. And so um, just a, a interesting view to see the strength and courage matched with humility. Mm -hmm. Many times we make an assumption if one is humble, they are weak. But that's not the case. That's not true humility. Humility is matched by one's strength and ability. Meekness is not strength, is not weakness. Noah, I mean Moses was meek, a meek man, but he was also a very uh, strong man as well. He was decisive, even though he was not very comfortable in his own skin at the beginning. You remember that? When he, was, when he was called, he was like, ah, you pick somebody else. 
Why don't you allow the Mashiach to do it? Why don't you allow somebody else to do it? Why don't you send the one that you're supposed to send? And he didn't realize that he was the one that was supposed to send. What in our life do we know that requires tremendous amount of courage, even in the midst of potentially being harmed yourself? What in our environment do we see that happens that we uh, sort of hesitate to respond to? Maybe the injustice around us, we should be quick to respond to injustice. At the same time, we shouldn't be, a, we shouldn't be intimidated to, to defend those who probably do not have the same status you do. What did Lot represent? The Yetzirah, the evil inclination, right? He makes the decision to take the easy way. He is the guy that takes the easy road out. So in reality, there is a level of wickedness in him. You understand? Mm -hmm. The bad boy guy. Now, if you were Avram and you knew that Lot had chosen to live in this place of great debauchery, wouldn't it have been just as easy to go, hey, he should have thought about that before he lived in the city, right? If he'd have followed me out here, we wouldn't have had this problem. Instead, Lot immediately goes to his side. You see, the true mark of a person with great noble character and having the character of Avram is a type of person that will come to the defense of another person even though you might not think that they are worthy of your defense. Does that make sense? But wasn't, well, I, I would think that because he loved Sarah so much. Oh, by, by all means. And Lot was related to Sarah. Oh, yes. Would, by all means. Yeah. By all means. But it goes back to, um, you know, look, blood's thicker than water. We've all heard that whole thing, right. you know, family. You know, you, you go take care of your family. Mm. But at the same time, Lot didn't just, Lot was not the only one that was rescued. Right. It was all the kings. He actually rescued the very king and group of society that was destroyed completely later on by God. What does that tell you about the spiritual nature of this man? That he was willing to go out and defend to save the lives of those who even spiritually were at the lowest level. Because they couldn't for themselves. They couldn't for themselves. One of the things I've always admired about the Jewish culture is their, their family-oriented, mm -hmm. very much so. Right. And, and I think that, that when you have a, when you have a, uh, a culture that does that, I think that inspires just like the kind of men right. that you know, right. Abraham was. A absolutely. <laughs> so that, that really is what we all should be aspiring to. Mm -hmm. We should all uh, find ourselves, and we talk about having sort of the faith of Abraham, and mm -hmm. we attach ourselves to his level of spirituality, and we really want to connect to God at the same level that Abraham did. But that connection starts in the physical dimension. It starts in the physical dimension because it, it, you start by walking. What is this idea? It says that Abraham, lech lecha, he moved, he walked, he took, he took steps. What is this walking? Think about this for a second. The feet are the lowest part of the human body. Now, let's look at the spiritual for a moment. When God says, walk with me, when God often says, and he walked, and the, or the Torah says, and he walked with God, 
we'll see this term several times. What does that really mean? Is it about the physicality of walking? Or is it about the fact that at the lowest level, at the most mundane level, at the most foundational level, this person was devoted to doing what God asked him to do? In God's timing. In God's timing. At the lowest level. Things that just seem so normal and like, uh, this is not a great thing to do this, but this is what God's called me to do. When you walk with someone, you're right there next to them. You're right there next to them, right. You're not ahead of them, you're not behind them. At the right timing, you are responding to the purpose of Hashem in your life. And sometimes we underestimate the power of the lowest part of our body. Can you imagine being without your feet? And I think that we have to understand that the, even the most mundane of mitzvot, of righteous acts that you can do, the most mundane, whether it's washing your hands and blessing Hashem in the morning, whether it's um, making sure that you take the time to bless the specificness of the food that you eat instead of the general prayer. Maybe it's showing uh, an extra level of compassion on someone that's lesser than you. You would think, eh, it's not a big deal. But it is a big deal. Because that's the very thing that moves you from one place to the other. It's the lowest part, but it helps, helps to motivate or to move you from one place to the other. Avram takes and goes from the Ur of Chaldees to Haran to Canaan to Egypt, back to Canaan. He settles in. He splits off from Lot. He is, at this point, about 90... 90 nine years old, right? Right? 99 years old. God tells him that he is going to make him a great nation. Now this man realizes, I don't have a son. I don't have any children. So how can I become a great nation? So it appears that his wonderful wife, who is at this time named Sarah is also a bit perplexed because she is barren. She hasn't been able to have children. So let's turn over and look chapter 15. Would someone like to start reading verse 1? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless in the air of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and numbers, and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. 
And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, and the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphim, I know I'm misspelling all, I mean saying all this, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gershurites, and the Jebusites. Very good. Oh, Let's give her a hand to say all so those names. Oh, she did good. <laughs> I think you missed the term termites. I, did. <laughs> I know. I wanted to say the yeah. multirites as well. So, this is the covenant of God to Avram. What is this covenant? Covenant of the land. Right. Right? Now, who does he make this covenant with? Himself. God makes it with himself on behalf of Abraham and his people. Can Avram break the covenant? No. Nope. Can the people break the covenant? No. Nope. Why can they not break the covenant? Because it wasn't made for them to break. Exactly. They could not break this. So this covenant is called the covenant of pieces in which you take this animal and it's divided into pieces. And the tradition of that time was to make a covenant of pieces, of, say for example with a king, what would happen is say two kings would come together, one would be a lesser king, one would be a greater king, and then you would have these covenants and then they would cut the pieces and then they would walk through it, the lesser king would walk through it and, and the greater king would say, uh, if you don't hold up your end of the bargain on this, uh, you will be your kingdom will be separated and divided, so will you be cut into pieces? And you know this was very mm. vicious and very tough. But Abraham fell asleep. Abraham fell asleep, right? Went into this deep spiritual meditation. We, I don't really understand, and we don't really understand and know what actually happened. But there is this covenant that takes place. This act called the covenant of pieces that takes place, and it it and it says. On this day, Hashem made a covenant to Avram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. Past tense. When did he give it to him? When did he give it to him? I guess when he created it. Noah. The time of Noah, when they divided the land. It was given to Shem. Right? So, does that make sense? So it's a past tense. He, when he says, when he, he has given it the land, from the river of Egypt, okay, where is that? Chicago? No. No, it's in Egypt, right? Right. The river Egypt to the Euphrates. Where is the Euphrates? 
Iraq. Well, it's actually at the border of Iran and Iraq. No, it's not the border, is it? It's right through the center. So it goes up to about half of Iraq, right? That is a pretty big piece of land compared to what they have right now. Also, it's a fertile crescent. Right? Yeah. Which would be the area up in Syria, right? Syria, Turkey. Can you imagine? So right now we only have a little spot, little spot, and nobody wants them to have that, right? But it's all going to be taken care of in the end. Maybe we should buy land now. Go buy land now while you can. <laughs> That's right. I'm sure that will be prime real estate at some point, right? Um, so someone start reading uh, verse 1 of chapter 16. Read with a nice, loud voice. That's all right. No, no one has to. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian service, servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had left ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong be done to me by thee on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him. Who looks after me? Therefore, the well was called, and it lies between Kadesh and Bered. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Who are the descendants of Ishmael? The Arabs. Has this has this promise that God made to Ishmael's come true? Very wealthy people. Very wealthy people. Have they been contentious amongst their brethren? Yes. Right? They are. And in the end, I'm sure that God will figure a way to bring us all together. He has a purpose and a plan. I don't understand it, but they are they are our cousins, our brothers. You understand? And so I, the other day I saw a little video of the Pakistani girl that was shot in the head. I posted it on Facebook. And my heart just went out to her to think, you know, what, 
what will it be like when we live in a land of peace where the instruments of warfare are turned into plow shares and that we are able to farm and be at peace with each other? What a wonderful time that's going to be. God's going to figure it out. Yes, ma'am, and then here. I just have a question on verse 5. It says, let Hashem judge between me and you. That verse perplexed me forever. Okay. What, what is he, she, uh, she saying to him? She is, she understands that she's just the maidservant, right? She's like a concubine. Sarah is the real wife of Avram. Mm -hmm. It's a tough situation to be in because she already consents that though Sarai did this act out of faithfulness to God to help God along a little bit, she can feel the contempt that Sarai already has for her. And she's thinking, well, just God needs to judge between these things. He needs to make the judgment because as far as I'm concerned, I want to run away. I don't have anything to do with this. Then all of a sudden the angel tells her, You've got a child. Yeah. So you need to go back home. Now at this time, Avram is 90, 99 years old? Yeah, it says it's 99. 99 years old, right? So important dates. Whenever we see uh, an age, it, we can kind of tell what, uh, what is happening. Avram at this point uh, is overjoyed that he has a son, Ishmael. Ishmael means God hears, God hears him, and she names this place, which actually is a place now in the Mediterranean, I mean the, the uh, Mediterranean side of Saudi Arabia, that's the west western end, right? Yes. Am I right? It says that Abram was 86 years old. 86, thank you. Yeah. thank you. 86. He was 86, and he wasn't 99 until he changed his name or something. Correct, correct. Yeah, I want to make sure we get the timeline yeah. straight. Thanks yeah, for the correction. Exactly. So 86 years old. Um, he, uh, she, the, the uh, uh, what's her name? Um, Hagar goes back. When Avram was 99 years old, Hashem appeared to Avram and said to him, I am El Shaddai, Walk before me and be perfect. You remember we talked about this walk before me? Mm -hmm. So even at the lowest level, perfect the lowest level. Perfect the most mundane thing and you'll be doing what is right in the eyes of Hashem. Let me say this. Many individuals that I know who study and yoke themselves to Torah and really want to live an observant life become frustrated because they're not able to do all the things that they want to do. And this is a phrase that should remind us Perfect the small things. Mm -hmm. Don't try to achieve everything in mitzvah. Perfect the small things. Find the small things that you can do and do it well. Do it with joy. Do it with confidence that you are connecting to Hashem and you will be doing that which is right, what God has actually called you to do. It says, I will set my covenant between me and you and I will increase you most exceedingly. Increase you most exceedingly means in wealth, Abram threw himself on his face, and God spoke with him, saying, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall father a multitude of nations. Your name shall no longer be called Avram, but your name shall be called Avraham. The hay is added to his name, right? 
For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you most exceedingly faithful. Make nations of you. Kings shall descend from you. I will ratify my covenant between me and you. Between you, your offspring, after you, throughout their generations. As an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and to your offspring after you. I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojourns the whole of the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, it shall be to them. God said to Avram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and that shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And at the age of eight days, every male among you shall be circumcised throughout your generations. He that is born in the household or purchased with money from any stranger who is not of your offspring, he that is born in your household or purchased with money shall surely be circumcised. So does that limit? That means everybody in his household. Uncircumcised male, the flesh of whose foreskin should not, shall not be circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from its people. He has invalidated my covenant. The term, his soul shall be cut off from my people, um, is not um, about heaven and hell. Okay, I want to make sure that some people come from different paradigms. This is about that person shall not be a part of the nation. right? So circumcision is what identifies you as being a part of Abraham's seed. And today, if one is to convert, they must be circumcised, at least ritually circumcised for that purpose for, to this day. And Abraham threw himself on his face and laughed he thought, shall a child be born... I'm sorry, we, we skipped something, didn't we? Yeah, you did. And God said to Avram, Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah is her name. What does Sarah mean? Princess. Princess. <coughs> I will bless her indeed. I will give you a son through her. I will bless her and she shall rise to nations. Kings of people will rise for her. And Avram threw himself on his face and laughed, and he thought, Shall a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? And shall Sarah, a ninety-year-old woman, give birth? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now what in the world does he mean here? What do you think he means? He already knew. Huh? Maybe he could be more powerful. Yep, I think in reality he's already knowing that Ishmael is not going to live the godly life right. that his next his 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 true offspring would live. And it's still his son. He's still his son. Yeah. So he was only hoping maybe, just maybe, he would live right. to to the level of righteousness that he should. He says, Your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac, Ixach. I will fulfill my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for this offspring after him. But regarding Ishmael, I have heard you. I have blessed him. 
will make him fruitful and will increase him most exceedingly, and he will beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But I will maintain my covenant through Isaac. Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. And when he had finished speaking with God, God ascended from Avram. Then Abraham took his son Ishmael and all the servants born in the household, all that had purchased for money, all the male members of Abram's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their... Yes. And on the day that God had spoken to him, Abram was 99 years old when he was circumcised of the flesh. On verse 26, the last verse, on that very day was Avram circumcised with Ishmael's son and all the people of his household born in his household and purchased of money from the stranger. Now someone turned for me to the Torah portion, Isaiah the 40th chapter, verse 16. 40-16, Isaiah 40-16. Each week we want to bring the Haftorah portion in. Now, it's important to connect these because in this portion here, there is a reminder of Avraham and his um, courage and what God does through Avraham. This is at a period of time of Israel's history in which the people are feeling very disconnected from God. You understand that they had come to a fallen state and in this fallen state, looking to captivity, and the people of Israel seem to be feeling, has God completely forgotten us? Has He forgotten us? So if someone would be so kind as to read that text, I would appreciate it. I think it's a verse starts at verse 16, correct? Yeah. Isaiah 40, 16. 40, 16. Let the cot start saying 22. Yeah, 4022, I'm sorry. Yeah, 4027, thank you. Why do you say, O Jacob, and declare, O Israel, my way is hidden, my way is hidden from Hashem, and my cause has passed by my God? Okay, hold on. So, Jacob and Israel, and that's one thing that's very important to understand the book of Isaiah we have to make some very important um, identifications here. All through this text, you're going to see an interchange with some words or phrases. My servant, my son, are other words for Jacob and Israel. Why Jacob and Israel? Why the differentiation between the two? Why, do we know? Jacob represents the personal connection yeah. right that's correct so Jacob is the personal connection right and then Israel is the corporate level of identity right so regardless of how God is dealing with people sometimes he deals with individuals sometimes he deals corporately but all through this text he is including both of these phrases to represent the greater uh, what do you call community of the descendants of Abraham? Here in the first of the text, they feel like that it's like as if they, God doesn't even recognize them anymore. Now continue on. Did you not know? Did you not hear? Hashem is the eternal God, the creator of the ends of the earth. 
He does not weary. He does not tire. There is no calculating his understanding. He gives strength to the weary and grants abundant might to the powerless. Youth may weary and tire. Young men may uh, constantly, uh, yeah, constantly falter. But those whose hope is in Hashem will have renewed strength. They will grow a wing like eagles. They will run and not grow tired. Mm. They will walk and not grow weary. Continue on. Continue on if you don't mind to the end of the portion. Be silent to hear me, O island, and let regimes renew strength. Let them approach, then let them speak. Together let us approach for judgment, who inspired the one from the east, at whose every footstep righteousness attended. Okay, stop for a second. Mm. Do you know who he's talking about who comes from the east? It's Abraham. Abraham comes from the east, mm -hmm. and every footstep is what? Righteousness. What did God say to him? And you shall walk with me, and your descendants shall walk with me. You will keep my covenant. So this is what he's saying. So he's bringing up Abraham now. So here, here we go. He says, Is the uh, Judah and Israel says, Has he forgotten us? We're so tired. We're we're exhausted in what's happening. And then he comes back and says, just when you think that you're exhausted and you're tired and you're weary, I speak to you this day and say that the day will come in which you will be strengthened. You will mount up on wings like eagles. The people of the nations will come, this concept of the islands of the nations, they will come to judgment. They will come and receive their judgment. This is going to be a new day. So he's talking about a day that's getting ready to come. Continue on. Start back with where it says... Um, who inspired? Yeah. Who inspired the one from the east, whose every footstep righteousness attended, who delivered nations to him and subdued kings before him. Okay, when did, he, when did Abraham deliver nations to him? When he fought. In this story. Mm -hmm. Remember when he fought the battle? Right. right. And how did he present them to Hashem by going to Melech Sadiq and giving him a tithe? Do you see it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, what is the prophet reminding Israel of? I will be faithful to you as I was faithful to Abraham. If you will walk with me as Abraham walked with me, I will do the same thing for you. Right? So continue on. Who made his enemies like dust before his sword, like straw blown about before his bow. He pursued them and emerged unhurt on a path where his feet had never gone, who brought about and accomplished this. He who proclaimed the generations from the beginning, I, Hashem, am the first, and I am he who will be with the last generation. That's neat. That is amazing. I, like I am the first and the last, right. The islands saw and feared. The ends of the earth shuddered. They approached and came. Each man would help his fellow Worship idols? Say that again. It said each man would help his fellow, and then in parentheses it says worship idols. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. And to his brother, he would say, be strong. The woodworker would encourage the goldsmith. The finishing hammerer would encourage the one who pounds from the start. He would say to the glue, this is good, and he would strengthen it with nails so that it should not loosen. But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, 
you whom I have chosen, offspring of Abraham, who loved me, you whom I shall grasp from the ends of the earth and shall summon from among all its noblemen, and to whom I shall say, you are my servant. Okay, pause right there for a second. So let me, let me translate this a little bit. So, he says that these individuals from the nations, just like in your time, just like in the time of Avram when he invaded, he was like a, like a, a dust cloud that descended upon them. I don't know if you've ever been in a dust storm before. Some of you guys have been in the Midwest or out in the West and you've seen a dust storm or sandstorm. It's amazing. You just see it, this huge cloud coming towards you and all of a sudden it engulfs everything and dust is in every crack of your house, right? Mm -hmm. So it says that Avram descended upon him like a dust cloud with the bow. I mean, it was like totally blew them away. He, they did not expect him to do this. But even after he demonstrated this great authority and Hashem delivered the battle to him, and even after he demonstrated this integrity before God by going to Melech Zadik and giving his offering of tithe, what did the kings do? What did Sodom and Gomorrah do? What did these kings do? Go right back to building their idols. The glue is fine. The nail is good. The carving's beautiful. The molds are great. What do they do? They go right back to what they were doing again. And so he's telling, showing and demonstrating to Israel, he says, this is the lot of the nations. This is what they do. What happened after 9-11? Everybody went, to Everybody went to church and synagogue and temple and Buddhists were humming and charismatics were jumping up and down and Jews, we were davening and everything was amazing. But what happens to now a nation some, how many years now? 12, 13 years? 12 years later, we have the the Ten Commandments being ripped out of our courthouses. It seems that God is being pulled out of the public place and idolatry is greater than it was before. But His people do not do that. His people don't do that. His people instead are, notice who the servant is. What does He say? Can you read that last verse again? But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, you whom I have chosen, offspring of Abraham, who loved me. So that is, that is everybody say it's us. It's us. us. It's, us. <laughs> it's Israel. Eight. The offspring of Abraham, obviously we know, is the biological offspring. Right. Right. But also there is the household of Abraham. Mm -hmm. There are the servants. There are those who have attached themselves to Abraham. And I want you to understand that you, B'nai Noah, are considered part of Abraham's people. And so in the same way Abraham was required to be circumcised, so does B'nai Noah circumcise their hearts before Hashem. Because this is about living a life of righteousness before God. This is about living a life of holiness before Him. Yes, ma'am. So the suffering servant that we hear about is Israel. Correct. In Isaiah 53. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, uh, is that the end of the portion? 
Can someone continue reading till we end? It doesn't matter. Go ahead, Diane. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I have strengthened you, even helped you, and even sustained you with my righteous hand. Mm. Behold, all who become angry with you shall be shamed and humiliated. Those who fight with you shall be like nothingness and shall perish. The men who struggle with you, you shall seek them, but not find them. The men who fight you, you shall be like nothingness and not. For I am Hashem, your God, who grasps your hand, your right hand, who says to you, fear not, I help you. Hmm. Fear not, O warm of Jacob. O men of Israel, I help you. The word of Hashem and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I have made you like a new sharp threshing iron with many blades. It's all right. Someone pick up and read. You shall thresh mountains and grind them small and make the hills like shaft. You shall winnow them, and the, and the wind will carry them off. The storm will scatter them. But you will rejoice in Hashem, and the Holy One of Israel will you glory. So who's your Redeemer? Who is the Redeemer? Right. Hashem. Though the world might go and rebuild their idols, fasten it with glue and hammer it with nails, his people become clearer in their focus and their love for the God of Abraham. The nations are being called as we speak today to know our great God. And today we celebrate the end of this Torah portion with this very encouraging word from the prophet Isaiah. Be not discouraged. Be in joy. Be strengthened. That even in the darkest hour when you think that all of the enemies are going to come against Israel and Iran is going to bomb Israel and it's going to cause havoc, I want you to understand that there will come a day in which Israel will not be able to find their enemy. They will not be able to know where their enemy is because they will not exist anymore. Be of strength and courage because we are His people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Everyone say shalom. Shalom. Somebody like to turn the camera off. Q&A. Comments, fears, doubts, and belief. Yes, ma'am.